Good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, there's only a couple of us here, so you guys need to be super interactive today. So, good morning, church. How are you guys doing this morning? Yeah, doing well. Thanks. Let me pull up my notes. Um, So, my name's Brent. If you guys don't know me, I'm one of the elders here, and it's very rare that I actually get to um, step into the pulpit, and so it is an honor um, to continue the rest, uh, finish up our Advent series. Um, and as the video said, and as Jackie's already said, today um, is the fourth week of the Advent Conspiracy um, series, and today we're going to talk about loving all. Uh, the last few weeks, we've invited you um, to think differently about Christmas. Um, we've asked you to conspire with us to be countercultural. Can you turn me down or do something? I'm getting a little echo. Um, to be countercultural, we've asked you to shift your paradigms, to adjust your thoughts, and more importantly, to alter your actions during this season. Um, and we hope that it won't just be this season, but it will carry out through all of 2019 and the rest of your lives. So we started off three weeks ago with Kevin, um, and he challenged us to worship fully, not to let the traditions and the activity of the season to take away from the true meaning of Christmas, but instead to reflect on what Christmas really is. He asked us to remember that for thousands of years, for generations and generations, God's people looked forward to the coming Messiah. Think about that. Pre-Jesus, thousands of years waiting in expectation. They only had a shadow of an image of what Jesus would do and what Messiah would look like. But Moses and Abraham and the prophets longed for his coming, hoping and trusting that one day the Lord would make a way to reconcile man and buy them back to himself. This season of Advent, um, which means coming, is supposed to remind us to pause, to take note of the great work that God has done in letting his son step into the flesh of a human baby. Um, In the form of Jesus Christ, we are called as a church to focus on God and Jesus Christ and thank him for fulfilling all of those Old Testament prophecies and worship him fully in the midst of it. On top of all that, we can look forward to Jesus' coming, his second coming, a time where one day, where we stand in the tension right now, one day everything that's wrong with the world will be set right by Jesus. Everything that's broken will be made new. So Kevin challenged us to a greater worship of Jesus this season with our songs and with our deeds. Two weeks ago, Derek challenged us to spend less, to spend less on foolish things and to spend more intentionally on bringing glory to God. He didn't call us to be Grinches, not giving any gifts or being very stingy with our gifts. And he didn't call us to the other end of being completely um, crazy givers, spending exorbitantly on people. But instead, he called us to give intentionally, with purpose, encouraging our friends and family with our gifts to look up 
and to see what the season's really about, to remember with each gift why that gift was given, because Christ himself was the greatest gift. He reminded us what Jesus said in Matthew 6, that where our treasure is, our heart is also. So he called us to use our giving as an opportunity to share the salvation that comes in Christ to those around us. To give sacrificially, spending less on ourselves, less on the dumb stuff, and spend differently and intentionally. Last week, Stephen challenged us to give more, which seems counterproductive to spending less, but when you really start thinking about it, it's more of your presence, C-E, instead of presence, T-S. He reminds us that Jesus' incarnation was the biggest gift of all. The creator of the universe, master and lord of all creation, gave the gift of himself. The centerpiece of our universe in the form of a human child, God's presence on earth. Jesus was the son of God and called himself the son of man. Jesus being God's visible image became flesh, and Jesus is our Emmanuel, God with us. So Stephen reminds us wherever Jesus went throughout his life, especially when he started his ministry, he always made time for people. He was present with them. He called us to follow Jesus' footsteps in giving our presence wherever we go um, and reminded us in these kind of five ways. So he said Jesus gave his presence with his hands, so he reached out to the leper and touched the leper when no one else would. Healed him and did some really cool stuff, but then Jesus was present with his words. Stephen used the woman caught in adultery Jesus defended her when he could have, he was the only one who could have spoken against her. Instead, he defended her and said, let you who is without sin be the first to cast a stone. And everyone walked away, and he met her there, and he was present there with her. Jesus shared his presence through his time. Zacchaeus, a tax collector, an outcast, wanted just a little bit of time, and Jesus made time to spend with him at his house, being super intentional with the short three years he had to spend time where it would bring the most glory to himself, and Zacchaeus's life was forever changed from one afternoon spending with Jesus. Jesus was present through his heart. Um, we talked about the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept, where Mary and Martha were weeping for their, their brother Lazarus, Jesus' good friend, and when he met them, he wept with them, he mourned with them, and he met them in their pain. The good thing is he didn't leave them there, but Jesus wept. There are people in our lives that need us to come alongside them and just to be present in their mourning. And then, more than anything, Jesus gave his presence through his life and his blood. He laid down his life so that we sinful, rebellious sinners could have a way to know God. So Stephen challenged us to give the gift of ourselves just as Jesus gave the gift of himself. To show people how much we care about them 
and how much God cares about them by being present in the situations that we're in. So instead of being on our phones or being completely absent, tune in this season. Tune in to conversations. Press in and, and hug people and show people that you care. That was the challenge of Stephen. And so worshipfully, spend less, give more. And today, today I get to introduce the last thing, which is the challenge to love all. You see, love is a word we use to describe a lot of things in America, in English. We love a lot of things. We love our kids. We love our spouses. We love our freedom. We love our girlfriends and boyfriends. We love our sports teams. We love chocolate. We love steak. I love steak. Um, We love pizza. We love our dogs. Some even love cats, which I don't understand, but but some people even love cats. Um, We love a lot of things. We love so much that there are over like 200 songs that were number one hits of the past 50 years that have the word love in the title. Back in 1956, Elvis wanted people to love me tender. And then a few years later, he's saying uh, that he can't help falling in love. Even though he couldn't help falling in love, some obviously could because there were some who had lost that loving feeling, according to the Righteous Brothers. The Supremes wanted to stop in the name of love, while the Beatles told us that all you need is love. A few years later, the Partridge family saying, I think I love you. Olivia Newton-John could say, I honestly love you. In 1975, the Eagles were willing to give the best of my love, and Captain and Tennille told us that love would keep us together. By 1976, Paul McCartney was decrying all the silly love songs, but Rio Speedwagon vowed in 1981 to keep on loving you. It was the only thing they wanted to do. Lionel Richie and Diana Ross knew that they would keep on loving because they sang about their endless love in 1981, while Tina Turner wanted to know what love got to do with it in 1984. (laughs) In 1985, Whitney Houston was saving all my love for you, even as foreigners said, I want to know what love is. That's a lot of love songs, (laughs) and I could go on a couple more decades But that in and of itself tells you there's a lot of love songs. But do you ever think that we've overused the word love so much that we so much that we no longer know what love is? We think we don't really understand what love is, and we could honestly say along with foreigner, I want to know what love is. Maybe you've never consciously wondered that, but as we talk about it, it does strike a chord. What is love? I want to know. I think the band Nazareth understood it a little bit more than some of these other people. Um, Daniel told me about this song, and it reminded me of this song, and the song is Love Hurts. They paint an accurate depiction of what really loving someone looks like. In this song, you see that the vulnerability that requires, that love requires, often leaves you open so that the person you love can wound you deeply. Here's what the first verse says. Love hurts. 
love scars, love wounds, and mars. Any heart not tough nor strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Love is like a cloud, holds a lot of rain. Love hurts. Ugh, love hurts. (laughs) If you make a choice to love, there will be pain involved. To love someone, really love someone, it hurts. If you open yourself up to them and let, lo- let them love you and you love them, you open the door to the inner parts of your heart. By loving someone, you become vulnerable. They have the opportunity to hurt you where no one else would have. You've probably heard it said that the deepest wounds come from those who are the closest to you. I felt that. I'm sure you have as well. For instance, if if some random person came by and was just started heckling me, you're fat, you're ugly, I would probably just be like, whatever. Um, that who cares? I don't know you. But if my best friend started teasing me about something that I was a little insecure about, I, it would play over and over and over in my mind. I'd analyze it to the point that like it would just drive a wedge in me and I would question my whole being because someone who knew me well criticized a thing that they might not even realized was an insecurity but I loved them and I care about what they say about me people who are close to us have the most power to inflict the deepest wounds but they also have the most power to build us up and encourage us and make us more than we are. Our society as a whole avoids pain and hurt. We do anything to avoid hurt. I mean, look at New Year's resolutions. (laughs) Um, People go to the gym for like two weeks, and then when it starts hurting, (laughs) they're gone. People do anything, and as soon as there's a little bit of discomfort, as soon as there's a little bit of like, ah, this is uncomfortable, this is awkward, I don't don't know if I want to do this, they avoid it like the plague. Um, But as Christ followers, we are called to love all because God sets the example for us. The Father loved us by giving us his Son. There's pain involved there. There's separation in the Trinity. No longer was one-third of the Trinity in heaven completely connected, but a third of the Trinity came to earth and dwelt among us and lived as a normal human being. And then more than that, was completely separated by the cross, by sin, by our sin. So the Father loved by giving his Son. Jesus loved us enough to lay down his life. There's definitely pain involved there. More than we could ever even think or imagine. The pain of him bearing the sins of all of humanity and being separated from his father. And we, as Christ followers, are called to give our lives for others and there will be pain involved. Turn with me to 1 John 3. And we're going to read... Um, 11 through 24, um, but there's only like 23 and 24 and 16 through 18 are what we're really going to focus on today. Um, so 1 John three eleven says this, 
For this is the message that you heard, have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of, out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this, we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. Just as he has commanded us, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for First John and this powerful call to love each other. Lord, I pray that as we contemplate your great love for us in Christmas, and what you've done for us, Father, I pray that our hearts would be broken and encouraged to do what you have done to those around us, to give of ourselves the way you gave yourself to those around us. As we continue to discuss this, Father, open our hearts and our minds to reveal to us places that we might need to reconsider that we might need to reevaluate in our lives. Places where we might need to change our attitudes. Lord, be with us. In Jesus' name. So how do we know what love is? Verse 16 says, love is sacrificial. Jesus laid down his life for us. By this we know love. He laid down his life for us. All throughout scriptures, we see this love, this great love of Jesus putting himself last and putting us first. Uh, John 15, 12 through 13 say this, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. So Jesus laid down his life, and this is, he's saying this right before he dies. This is the last, after the last supper, he's telling his friends, his disciples. There's no greater love than you willingly laying down your life for your friends. So do what I'm about to do. This is the love that you are called to. Greater love has no man than this, than someone laid down his life for his friends. 
We see this in the most famous verse of all, John 3, 16, and the two verses that follow that, 17 and 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And catch this, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God so loved that he gave, he sacrificed. And that sacrifice calls us to a response. So how are we to respond to this gift? Both 1 John, or John 3, 18 and 1 John 3, 23 and 24 talk about how to respond. There's the first command in verse 23 of 1 John 3, the first command, the commandment here is to believe in the name of Jesus. Believe. What is believing? I mean, it's to know something so fully that you change your actions. It's to know that that chair is going it, to, it's something different to know that that chair can hold my weight. I believe that that chair can hold my weight, but am I really believing it unless I'm putting my weight on that chair. No. Like, I, I mentally assent to that chair holding my weight, but until I put my weight on that chair, I'm not really believing it. It's the same thing. There's so many things in our lives that we mentally assent to, that we believe, but that don't change our actions. This word believe is a call not to just mentally assent, mentally make a check mark. Oh, I believe that. That could be true. That's true. But instead, to believe in Jesus, to let your life alter and change because of the knowledge and the knowing of Jesus Christ. Knowing fully to the point of changing action. Believe in Jesus. So look at him. Examine him. Decide who he is. As both Stephen and Derek have talked about the last two weeks, C.S. Lewis said you have three options to believe in him. He's either a liar, he's lunatic, or he's the Lord. You have to examine Jesus for yourself and figure out which of those three. And there's no other options. Believe and confess him. If you believe, the second part comes in. If you believe, you should start acting like him. So verse 24, that second part is the command to love one another. In John 3, 18, that's, you're going to start looking and acting like him. All throughout scripture, once you believe in Christ, something changes within you and you start looking like Jesus. Let's reread verse 23 and 24 real quick. It says, and this, is uh, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded, commands us. Whoever keeps his commands, commandments abides in God, and God in him, and by this We have proof that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So whoever keeps his commandment, get this, abides in God. 
What does abiding mean? Living in, staying connected to. It's like these trees over here. They abide in electricity. If you unplug them, they're still trees, but they're not as pretty. That electricity, those lights aren't glowing. To live in Christ, to live completely abiding in him means that your power source is plugged in to him. And everything that you do is getting power from him. When you're disconnected, you're not abiding in him. When you're not tuned in, you're doing your own thing. But no, like this is, this is what we're called to do. So if we abide in him, then there's this really cool thing that happens. He abides in us. And then the Holy Spirit is our confirmation that we are who we are supposed to be. Um, so, second commandment, love one another. Whoever does this abides in God and God in him. But it can only happen if you have the first thing. You're believing enough to abide. So let's reread verses 16 through 18. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Guys, that's the hard part. It's really easy to, to say I love someone. It's really easy to tell someone, yeah, love you, man. Praying for you. I'll be there for you. What really matters is when we show up, when our actions speak louder than our words. True love requires action, requires deeds. So you really have to stop and consider if anyone has the world's goods, in other words, if you have, you, you're in America, you are part of the haves and not the have-nots. If anyone has the world's goods, if anyone has money in their bank account, if anyone has food on the table, and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? How does God's love live in that? Good question. The dumbest thing I've heard said <laughs> was that Christianity is easy, is that loving people is easy. It's not. It's one of the hardest things that can ever happen. And it goes against our nature, and it goes against all of culture. All of culture says, look out for yourself. Only hang out with people when they're edifying and good to you. Like, divorce rates reflect that. Only have a spouse as long as they're doing what you need them to do, as long as they're respecting you and making you feel edified, or as long as they're providing. 
And somewhere along the line, when things get rough, the easy human nature is to step back and be like, I don't need any of that. That's negative. That's hard. I'm going to walk over here and move on to someone else because that's easy. But love, God's love, the love that we are called to (laughs) is one that abides, one that grows roots, one that says, no, I am going to hang out with you even if you are the most annoying person on the face of the planet. (laughs) I'm going to love you and give you my time even if in my personal back of my mind, it's like, oh, not again. Lord, give me the strength to love this person. We love the superficial relationships. We love doing the easy thing. That's what's easy for us. But Luke 6, Jesus said in Luke 6, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. So if you're only loving those who are easy to love, if you're only loving those who are giving back to you love, if you're only in relationships where you're getting something out of it, then I've got something to tell you. You you might need to reconsider where your heart is because God calls us to something a lot more. We love superficial relationships and the last place where there should be disposable, superficial relationships is here in the church. Here in the church, other brothers and sisters are where when things get hard, we stick it out because that's what we're called to do and not like putting your boots in the ground and and saying, I'm going to do this. No, in humility and in grace, because of God's great love for us, we humbly say you are worth it. You are worthy. The Lord loves you, and so therefore I do too. And today, I might not feel that, but my actions are going to, to, to reflect that because that is what God has called me to do. Yes, you may have borrowed 100 bucks last week, and you need to borrow another 100 bucks this week. If I have it and the Lord says, tells me to do it, I'm going to give. Yes, gosh, having to hang out with this person is so draining. But if I have that time, and the Lord has given it to me, and the Lord is calling me to hang out with this person, that is what we're called to do. Because here is where people are supposed to feel the most love. And here, the church has failed for the last 500, 2,000 years, often. The churches that do it right grow exponentially because people want love. They want acceptance. They want to know what it feels like to be part of a community. And the way to, to really love people is to invest in their lives, to invite them in, to not be selfish with your time, but to invite them along as you go, even when it's tough and even when it's hard and even when there's some people that aren't easy. And sometimes you're the person that's not so easy. So you need to give some grace and humility <coughs> to those that are trying But here in the church, with grace and mercy, we need to approach each other in love 
but then also with truth. If someone's doing something that's making them hard to love, we can call them out on that. We're supposed to say, dude, I love you. This is tough. You may need to reconsider what the Lord is doing in this part of your life. You're harsh. You're blunt. You might need to reconsider your words. So truth and deed, our actions and in truth, truth being from the Father, not our own version. So the challenge here is who in your life, in your work, in your intimate community, do you need to love? I'm sure that there's a couple people that automatically come to my mind that I need to do a better job of loving, that I need to reach out to you. The call this Christmas is to love them. You don't have to give them a gift or anything, but give them a phone call. Give them a hug and say, man, I know I haven't been always the best friend. Forgive me for that. I love you, and I want you to know that I love you and God loves you. And then start pursuing them and loving them well from here on out. That is what you're called to do. So in the local concept, in the, in the local community, who in your little sphere of influence are you called to love greater? But let's take a step back. And because we're not just supposed to love the people that are in our little sphere of influence. As Christ followers, we're supposed to love, we're supposed to be completely different people than the world around us. People who are outside the church are supposed to see our love for each other, but then are also supposed to experience our love. We're called to give to those who have no way to ever give back to us. Over 2,000 scriptures talk about taking care of the poor, the needy, the sick, the, the widows and the orphans, and even the prisoners. God is very clear that we, as his chosen people, are supposed to be loving. So what does this look like in today's world? Because I, look, I worked at a boys' home for three-plus years in rural Alabama, 30 minutes from the nearest Walmart, 20 minutes to the nearest gas station. It was middle of nowhere Alabama. And some of the most love I experienced was from some volunteers that after I started going there, God just put it on someone's heart. Um, his name is Kevin Derberry, to, to bring a small group of people to come down to the boys' home that I worked at from Birmingham. And so they drove, and we met the first time, and they kind of did a fun concert. And then that evolved into a core group of like 20 volunteers that came down once a month as a group and loved on the 60 boys that I worked with. And more than that, that exponentially grew to some of them driving down every week to have an hour-long conversation and hang out with these boys who'd been abused, neglected, and had, were in the foster system. They had nothing. That same group raised money so that every single one of my kids was sponsored for Christmas. <laughs> we had equipment for, for stuff. Like before, when I got there, it felt like a jail, and it was a foster home. And through this one group coming in and focusing and loving intently on these kids who ne didn't have any resources to pay them back, God moved. And throughout their time of volunteering, I saw lives alter and change. And these kids who'd been abused, neglected by the world, God did something in them. 
there's a couple of them that were adopted by some families that were, <laughs> that came and volunteered. There was um, just some life-altering friendships that started happening, and God used it in a mighty way. Um, in the same time frame, um, the Church of Brook Hills, where, um, where David Platt um, is, was a pastor at the time, he did a couple sermons, and then one of the community groups really took that call to be a loving influence in the community around them. And that community group, as a community group of, of young married couples, decided we're going to be foster parents to love people, love people well. And they went through the foster care program and they started fostering kids. You guys, that's hard. Bringing kids into your house that you don't know, have messy backgrounds, but that grew exponentially because of the, what God and the Holy Spirit were doing in their individual lives and through the kids' lives that they were fostering to where not just that community group, but then a lot of people in Brook Hills and then a lot of people in the church that, like I knew and were volunteering in my, my place, a lot of people started becoming foster parents. The church basically became foster parents for all of Jefferson County in Birmingham and alleviated this huge need of foster parents. And within a year of training and just these Christians doing what God had called them to do, taking in the orphans, God completely changed Jefferson County foster care system and the lives of every single kid that was in it. And it was really cool to watch. No longer was there always a wait for these kids to have a home and they were in big group homes or sitting in a prison cell for the night because there was nowhere else for them to go in the juvenile detention center. They were immediately welcomed into a Christian family's home. And a lot of these were empty nesters. A lot of them had kids, and that was a tricky situation, inviting someone into your home when you have kids that you need to protect. So I'm not telling you you all should be foster parents, but that really impacted me and showed me what love looks like on a global scale and what love could look like to someone who's actually asking the question, Lord, what does this look like now? Um, a couple years ago, there was a crazy epidemic of Ebola in West Africa. Um, and Doctors Without Borders and MSF, the, I don't know how to say it, it's a French organization, they, um, they went there and in the midst of doing everything else, my phone's going off, um, in the midst of going everything else, um, uh, were going where everyone else had pulled out. They were going places and getting stuff hurled at them because white people and black people in West Africa, I mean, there's slavery and histories that are really, really bad, and so black people don't trust white people. And so these white people are coming in and telling them, hey, stop doing these things, take this medicine, and they're just like, no, we're just going to throw stones at you because we don't trust you, and you're coming in and telling us to do stuff. And doctors risked their lives on the front of Ebola because they felt called to do it, and it was Christian doctors sacrificing themselves, putting themselves on the line, potentially getting Ebola themselves, because their heart went out to these suffering people who needed a cure and who needed someone do something to show them love. Because if we are followers of Christ, if we started to love as Jesus did, 
wherever we went, what would our world look like? How would that change Gainesville if we, just the small community of Alathea, started loving sacrificially when we didn't want to, <laughs> loving the people around us? This Christmas season is all about God coming to earth, becoming flesh incarnate. But that's a call for us to come to earth and out of our little bubbles and be God's flesh incarnate daily. It's a reminder and a push for us to get out of our comfort zone and do something uncomfortable. And I don't know what that means for you. That's something that you and God have to work out whether that's volunteering at the homeless shelter or doing an after-school program or switching careers, as I'm probably going to do very soon, and become a teacher because the Lord has laid on my heart that I need to be doing something with my 40 hours a week to impact the kingdom. I don't know what that means for you. But what I'm asking you to do is to consider what love and loving all looks like in your life this Christmas season. As you go home, I have a, four days planned with my family um, in a cabin in Gatlinburg, um, which is going to be awesome. I'm really excited about it. Um, but there's some people in my family that, like, are hard to love. <laughs> and so these next four, four days, Christmas through Saturday, are, are going to be fun. I'm, I'm excited about it, but they might be trying. And so it's a challenge to myself to be present even when I don't want to be. When everything in me says, okay, I've had too much, I want to go in my room and read a book and like lock them out, the challenge for me is to love them because this is the one week each year that I get to see them um, and to share Christ with them and to be present in their lives. So you guys, we're about to take communion. And Jackie, if you want to go ahead and come up and, um, and place something... Before you come up today and take communion, my challenge to you is this. Ponder what it looks like. Who in your life do you need to love and show love to you? And what habits, tendencies need to change? What do you maybe need to start doing to love the world around you? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much um, just for this opportunity to challenge us to love. Lord, you have given us so much through Christ coming to earth as a human being, through loving us more than we could ever think or imagine. So right now, Father, I pray that you would just open up our eyes and our hearts. Convict us, Lord, of what you want us to look like. Bring to mind the person that we need to reach out to and show love, even if we haven't talked to them in years. Help us, Lord, to be imitators of you, Jesus. We ask this.